0: This is Big Man Tyrone, and you're about to watch the MTG Cabalcast with your hosts, Woad, Thirsty, and Raptor. Sub to us on all your podcast networks at MTG Cabalcast and YouTube. All right, guys. Welcome to the newest episode of the Cabalcast. Uh, this week, we've got pretty interesting topic for you. We're going to be covering penny specs, which is something we harp on a lot, uh, specifically what our strategies are for like dumping them, how deep we go, how long our hold time is, mm-hmm. whatever. And we've touched on it briefly before, but we're actually going for you know full-on, in-depth, this is what we're doing now. Yep. So,
1: so um, I like this topic a little bit because it's getting harder and harder to penny spec properly uh, in the current standard format, so you've got to keep your eyes peeled for what you can and can't move on. I had an interesting discussion with somebody yesterday on Twitter as the Star City opened closed and I think around, or maybe two prior to the Top 8 cut, we found out that a Golgari deck had locked Top 8. So it was a conversation about that list, and I'll bring it up in a minute because what I want to talk about is effectively a penny spec from that deck albeit not quite a penny. So... This is what I like. To, something I like to look at when I penny spec. Basically, it's something that costs under 2 or $3 that I can move in on in large quantity from a singular vendor. So the yeah. card that I looked at initially, uh, I went 28 deep on from a single vendor because that's all I had, is uh, Rishkar Pima Renegade. Yeah. So the reason I like this card as a penny spec and a midterm hold is that this is a card that was printed in packs and pre-release yeah. kits only. There's one way to get it non-foil. There are two ways to get it foil. If, uh, the pack foil was $1.45 when I picked them up at 20 each. Going through the rest of the deck, there was nothing else that was nearly that cheap in foil as uh, a non land card or something that wasn't already in standard. Everything else has multiple printings or multiple ways to pick up in foil. So I chose this card. Digging in a little deeper, I verified that this does have a little bit of EDH play and a little bit of Oathbreaker play, about the same percentage across decks that are counter-themed, 5%, which isn't uh, that great, because the the theme is... It's there, but it's kind of gate-kept by doubling season and uh, parallel lives. So... This card is also in the Hardened Scales deck in Pioneer, so it pulls double duty. Oh yes, there's a Hardened Scales deck in Pioneer that does not run Winding Constrictor. Yeah. So you don't play, yeah, you don't play Hardened Scales, the creature, the two-three snake. You stay away from that. It's just Hardened Scales and Walking Ballista and Hangerback Walker. Essentially. Yep. That deck from Standard ported into Pioneer with a little bit better mana base.
0: Yeah, slightly better, yeah.
1: Yeah, but the the idea behind uh, Rishkar is that this Golgari deck that uh, top aided by Sean Warning is just a stompy deck. It can deal yep. 15 to 20 points of damage somewhere uh, around the turn around turns four or five yep. and it is very light on the Golgari theme and it's just aggressive. This is a deck that has the ability to stabilize the format so to speak yep if it continues to be an inverter based format. Sean performed wonderfully on camera against inverter. That's the reason he chose to play this deck because it has yeah. a great matchup against inverter. Although he got dunked by Azorius control in the top eight, <clears throat> literally yeah. his worst matchup. He could have won or could have run the event, could have run the tables and I was hoping for it, but this is what lead, what led me to pick up this card effectively as, uh, uh, just a low impact medium yeah. hold, uh, Penny stock. I expect this to. The foil to easily crest five if this deck starts to pick up on Moto. If, if Moto continues to be Mono Inverter and the next bunch of events that we move into are going to be Pioneer. We don't know when the ban list is going to happen next, but there are Magic Fests slated that are. Uh, I think it's two that are Pioneer. Yeah. Uh,
0: I believe it was Aaron Forsyth did tweet that there are no plans currently on the horizon for a pioneer band So there you go. sort of <laughs> announcing a non-announcement, which is keeping in flavor with them.
1: Yep. So there's nothing about this card that I don't like. Yeah. And because it Pretty was, a, yeah, it was a very easy card to move into. I think I spent uh, about f- a little over 40 on it. And the reason I went for that was because it was like two at 26, I got free shipping at $35. So I just bought the extra two. Yeah. And got the rest with taxes uh, at about 40. And, for me, uh, on a as a foil, this represents a great penny stock. There are other cards that I could have moved into in foil, and I'll talk about that. With, uh, my second card after Thursday gets a chance, but yeah. this has the mm, the highest opportunity to rise the quickest. I yeah. have a lot of other cards I
0: was looking at for sure. So, uh, so I something I look for for penny stocks for me. I am much more of an EDH guy. What is this done in EDH? Mm-hmm. What has, what potential does it have? You know, I harped on Sarkin's Unsealing for I don't even know how long at this point. I love that card. Yep. I love it. I love it. I love it. And part of that is, that's one of my penny stocks. I think it's a red enchantment that does dumb things in EDH, which is a common theme for stuff that you wake up and like, oh, Possibility Storm is suddenly $5? I don't remember that being $5. Literally Ever.
1: Or a Burning Sands from Torment, or was an Odyssey, the, the well, Land Destruction card. Well, yes. Burning
0: Sands was me. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyways, uh, that's the type of stuff that I look out for. And in terms of like how deep I go, I like to go deep right after it's printed. Mm-hmm. So I got in really deep on Sarkin's Unsealing while it was actively being printed, because I was like, you know what, this is what I want to go in on this is what I am going to go in on. So I did. Mm-hmm. And now, like with, you know, if I were to go in on something like Burning Sands, I wouldn't go as deep. Because it's not at like its low point, and I like to get in on a penny stocks as low as possible. Yep. And you know, I similar to most of my other specs, I look to get a certain margin on it. But for me, with penny stocks, it's more. You know, I may on most things only look for like a 20 to 30%. Um, And that's typical for most cards, not typical for penny stocks. I bought all my Sarkins on ceilings at about sub 40 cents. Yep.
1: Yeah. And I'm at, I think,
0: 300 of them or something. I will not out a single one of those until they hit a $1.50 buy list. I may never out them. I recognize that but I at least want to triple up from my penny stocks because of how deep I go. Yes. I've got 300 of these things and I paid a hundred bucks, maybe 150 for them. I want to get 900 out of them at least. And that's, that's where I differ from some people I know because I, I am all about the explosive margins on penny stocks Mm -hmm. and not everyone is.
1: No, it's understandable. That's, it's hard to to pick and choose correctly. And uh, The fact that we both considered EDH viability in these cards seems to be important because that's where we are right now. Uh, Also, it it sucks that you just have to keep looking back in time to an era when things were printed in less quantity, but Sarkin's Unsealing suffers from that as being a fairly recent card compared to uh, Rishkar or the next card I'm going to talk about.
0: Yeah. I I also think that... A factor that a lot of people don't consider is how opened a set is. Mm -hmm. So, Core 19 wasn't heavily opened, really, compared to, like, Core 20. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons I'm more comfortable with that than I am with, like, something, I don't know, Veil of Summer, when people thought that card was worthless, as a bad example. Yeah. I, I look for that. As well, because that print run thing is a huge deal.
1: Yeah, it's like the seventh edition paradigm where yeah. non-foils are kind of whatever, but foils are ridiculous, not just because of the foil multiplier, but because that corset in particular was just not really opened compared yeah. to the others around it.
0: And and that's something that you have to consider when you go in on these penny specs is like, all right, well, obviously this card's going to explode, right? Yeah. When this card explodes, how many packs are going to get opened that are sitting around in distros now?
1: Yeah. And the, the thing that I like about Sarkons Unsealing is that in regards to at least uh, trend tracking, if it was ever to be put in a promo pack, it should follow something akin to Sunbur- Sunbird's Invocation, which I stare at all the time because it's a, a penny spec that I've had for a while, but not the one I'm going to talk about next. But we can actually see a rise in the price of Sunbird's Invocation after it was announced that it would be in promo packs. People keep buying yeah. this card. The price keeps going up. You know, it's until it's just released again in another set. It's just going to continue to, to tick up and up and up. Yeah. And with with nineteen, ha- with core nineteen having uh, rotated, it's already effectively hit its bottom. So we shouldn't really see it go any lower. Any EDH play should just fl- should float sarkons on ceiling. Yeah. yeah. Pure and simple. Uh, hopefully, yeah, yeah. The uh, the other card I I, I want to cite as a penny spec is or penny stock rather, is purely a bulk rare. It nice. is wake root elemental.
0: <laughs> oh boy.
1: Yep, my core 20 uh, penny stock. So I got these, uh, one vendor on TCG had 75 at 12 cents each, which is effectively bulk price for a rare. So sh- bottom out. Yeah. But not TCG, just a one vendor, I bought all 75. Yeah. So I'm sitting on those and whatever other ones I've I found, but that is actually one of the most important parts. Was I was able to get that quantity from a singular vendor. If I had to piece this together, I probably would not have moved in. And I wanted to get as close to 100 as I could from a singular vendor as possible at that point in time.
0: Yeah, that makes sense.
1: Whether I go any deeper in the long run, I'm not sure. The car is stable. I can pick I can pick these up whenever. They're yeah. not quite being open core 20, but you know people don't care about that set anymore. The problem that this card has is that it is currently in standard in the infinite variety paradigm, printing paradigm. So we have a set set version, a pre-release version, and a promo pack version. That would make five different versions of this card, two of which are non-foil. So that's going to suppress the price, and I knew that moving in. But the reason I did this was because it was already bulk-priced from an actual vendor, and it is a combo engine in EDH. This thing yeah. makes infinite mana in edh the plain and simple yeah it is not the you know tier one through three picks i understand that as well but this is another piece of that engine that just kind of hums along yeah so what i'm looking at is a long-term hold for a car that was printed within the last year that is bulk prices Still easy to buy and still easy to get out of trade binders. Even in foil, yeah. this is only about 30-some cents for the the set version. Card Kingdom wants no part of anything that isn't the promo pack version. Nope. So I will just scoop these up as I see them in trade binders until the end of time. This is a 12-cent rare that could all of a sudden be a dollar or two in yeah. time, and nobody will have noticed. Alchemist Refuge was a dirt card. It was basically seen like a worse yeah. version of Winding Canyons. And yep. all of a sudden, that was a $5 card.
0: All because of EDH.
1: Yes, entirely EDH. And if you don't know what Alchemist Refuge, refuge is, it's basically just Winding Canyon or a ley Line of Sanctity with a cost.
0: Or abundant, or Anticipation. Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah. Let's see if I can bring it up real quick.
0: Yeah, there's. There, I was actually discussing that with someone this weekend that there are very few permanent effects like that. But Alchemist Refuge and Winding Canyon, which is reserve list, so you can't do that, uh, is very much a, like, option. And the reason it spikes is because you can run that in non-blue decks that want that effect. Yeah. So EDH exists.
1: Yeah, for for Winding Canyon, at least. Alchemist Refuge has a blue symbol in it, right?
0: True. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, But but you can see
1: on this graph, it did nothing for forever until Origins. It was a 50-cent card and then just started to take up, 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 up.
0: Yep, and just like through natural demand. Yep. I, uh, I, the other penny stock outside is one that I got into a long time ago, and that was Wargate. Oh, uh, when Wargate was printed, I was like, this card's insane. Yep. It's a tutor. It tutors for a bunch of different stuff, and it's in a multicolor set. This card's going to be great one day. So I ended up with close to like 230 of the card, and then that deck was a thing in Modern for a week. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, my time has come. I don't know if this deck is real or not, but Pilas sure do. And I just shipped him all the buy lists. Yes. Yeah.
1: Wasn't it a Valakut deck? Gonna... Well, like, before Valakut was banned, it was Wargate Valakut? Yep.
0: Yeah. Uh, and I, I got rid of it. And that that was an example of, for me, it's just... Um, like, I knew this card would do something one day. And this was before the days of Saffron Olive. You know, we cite that effect all the time, yep. where it's the type of card, like, when I picked Phyrexian Gorger, I was like, yo, this is a thing that's happening. So... Uh, let's do it. Why not? Yeah. And this this was literally just card evaluation, and that was it. So. Yeah.
1: No, the um, similar to Wargate that's why I had not as many bring to lights as uh, somebody in Canada, but I had uh, probably forty or fifty regular bring to lights because I was also a believer in that card. It does something very yeah. similar to Wargate, where it's just a tutor through, three uh, three year deck. You go and get your win con. It was played in the modern ad nauseum deck for a little bit. Yeah. Because you could just wish for anything. Yep. The end. It just, it just won. There was also Bring to Light Scape Shift for a little bit.
0: Yeah. And now a... Scape Shift is dead and we have Amulet Shift. Yeah. Modern is a terrible format. Uh... <laughs>
1: TBD. TBD.
0: Yeah, t- TBD. Um, but yeah, I, I think those are the types of things that, you know, you can do the EDH model of. Is this a card that's going to be insane in EDH? Yeah, or you can do the model of well, this is uh, probably going to be broken one day, so let's do it.
1: Yeah, if if and I think that's a continued important continued importance is just understanding that everything's going to be printed in multi, uh, at least for the foreseeable future in multiple versions is going to suppress the price. So unless you're looking at a card that is going to be purely for EDH, that isn't something ridiculous like Nick Bloom Ancient. Yeah, Unbound Flourishing is a good example. Like something that just isn't obviously edh those always come out of the gate with a an edh based price that's going to be your best option is to try and pick a sleeper if you want to spec on standard that's also an option there's just a lot more card evaluation that's going to go into that you have to pick the right version of the card and then you also have to hope that the card hits So it's yeah. just a lot more input that you need to take in uh, the conversation i mentioned earlier uh, about the golgari deck kind of centered around the fact that I did not believe that Steel Leaf Champion was a card to pick up, and it was the first one I thought of, actually, when I was looking at this deck, because I was like, oh, Galt is way too expensive, and anything in Standard that's in this deck, even uh, thinking about Ronas for the same reason, has so many variations, it's not even going to be worth it. So what is in a land that I can look at? And lo and behold, it was Rishkar. But when they asked specifically about Steel Leaf, I said, I would not do that because there is the set version, so that's uh, foil, non-foil, the game day promo, which is full art, and I believe there's a promo pack version of Steel Leaf Champion out there as well. That card and the is, pre-release. Yeah, and the pre-release. So the, the, the non-foil version of that card is super suppressed compared to the other pricing because there are so many ways to get a foil.
0: Yeah.
1: But you have to hope that you buy the right version of that card for it to pop. Personally, mm-hmm. if I were going to move in, I would think the game day version, because it's full art and thus a little more pimp than just the other versions of the foil but yeah. people are buying promo pack foils unlike pre-release version foils which i thought were going to be the thing so i'm hedging my bets yeah but i'm that's off i'm off there
0: yeah i i think that's important too is making sure like you know you've your bets as best you can yeah but
1: I, I think there's opportunity you just have to take in every piece of information you can yeah All right. Do uh, you want to move on to picks? Shall we? All right. You want to go first? Cause, uh, just...
0: <laughs> a weird one. Yes. For sure. Uh, so <laughs> I was looking through some cards uh, last weekend that I had just sitting around, right? And I was like, ah, sure, whatever. And found a card that spiked with the release of Battle Bond. And it was a very low floor prior to that. Uh, looks like 85 ish cents. Was what it was at before we got Battle Bond And then it spiked and it's sort of settled and flattened Back down now Yep. Uh, and that's Clark's Thumb This is not quite a penny stock Because It is about two to three dollars Low right now But it's something that Every single time A coin to, A coin flip effect is going to be printed mm-hmm. Is going to spike Every single time This card goes in every coin flip deck ever. They love coin flip cards in casual formats like Battle Bond, like any of the unsets. They love that stuff. And it is a card which appeals specifically to casual players, and it appeals specifically to casual players that like to do cool things. And those, like casuals drive the market, yes. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Casual players who love doing cool things really drive the market. And if you look at the foil, we have a similar similar thing here. The foil was at $5, and then it spiked way up to 50, 60, and now we're down to like 30-ish dollars on the foil. This is something that's set in trade binders forever. For ever, Yeah, and didn't do anything. And now we're to the point where it's sort of flattened out again, and it's gonna start doing nothing for quite a while. The only reprint risk you really have is, like, a Commander supplemental product. But I think that it is the type of thing that long-term will see its price boosted by those products. Yeah. Because this card is from so long ago and hasn't been printed since. So it has very little exposure. Mm -hmm. And I think that when an EDH product comes out that has it in it, It'll tank it first, and then it'll shoot right back up over time. Yeah. Because you have people that didn't have exposure to the card prior. Yep.
1: Uh, for, for people that don't know, the reason it spiked with Battle Bond was because of all the coin flip cards in the set. It enabled mm-hmm. uh, people to play Frenetic of Freed and basically go uh, infinite in a flip coin deck with uh, Split and Akun. I'll try yeah. and get those up real quick. make you can see And okun and there was
0: the it was for the card that was like if you win 10 coin flips you win the game and you run it with zender split and okun and Clark's thumb and you try to just get there yeah and that's it
1: oh yeah yeah and there's some other odds and ends that deal with coin flips uh ral zarek the original ral uh their alt is you just flip coins and whatever yeah whatever or however many flips you win out of the x number you have to you you take extra turns um it's it's just been this cute card forever, and they paid homage to it in uh, was it the last actual unset with crux other thumb?
0: Yes. Yeah. It, yeah. Krark's other thumb.
1: Yeah. I don't remember what it does if it does any coin flips or not, but yeah, it, you know, a little bit of homage to that card. So it's it, this is an interesting pick and a card that I've set aside for a long enough time that makes sense. I I would expect the idea to out this would be buy lists. Be-
0: yeah, for okay. sure. Yeah, it's it's definitely going to be like a on something like this buy list specifically card kingdom because they their buy list of any in the industry responds to spikes faster than any other. Yep. And it's all automated so too. Which is yeah. Great. And it's all automated. So that's the first place to go every single time. Yep,
1: Just uh, like this has never been a card that I've been asked for at an event, but that was before really before the advent of the command zone. Yeah. And so unless some of your super casuals are going to be coming out to that, which is kind of a a TBD, I haven't been to a Magic Fest since Vegas. Yeah. And, fair.
0: and
1: Unless those super homers are coming out to play, I can't imagine that this is going to be a card that'll move in a case. Like if you have a foil, yeah, sure you can. A foil will
0: sure, yeah. but it's not the type of thing that you know. And that was a discussion I had this week. In EDH, foils are what you want. You don't want non-foils because those don't move at events.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, unless that unless that person who found the freed is like ah, i have a card of the thumb for whatever reason. Yeah, fair. So, yeah, it like. This isn't a card I would move on because I have no outs besides buy list. And as a pure EDH card like this, I would rather move it and trade than to buy list only because the entry point is so high. Yeah. But that doesn't mean you don't have the opportunity to sit on this for long enough. This, yeah, is, one of, sure. this is one of those things where you have to, again, decide, do you want to tie up your capital in in something that costs uh, five or so to try and get out at eight or eight plus and make your money there? Or do you yeah. want to go with thinner margins and try and churn stock faster? And you're not wrong either way. You just have to decide what works best for you. Yeah. So I'm uh, gonna go steam right along to my pick. Um, I'll just there's no reason to dance around this one. My pick is doomsday. Last week I pick last week I picked spoils of the vault. The other WinCon <laughs> this week I'm picking is doomsday. Why? Not just because it started to randomly creep up around War of the Spark. No, because it's actually being played a legacy again. There are currently Two people 5 0 with this deck, it looks like fairly regularly, at least yeah. once a week on Modo. And they're both essentially playing the same deck. It is a Sultai-based deck that plays a lot slower. It plays very defensively. It's actually the deck that I was experimenting with ahead of time when I was just thinking, like, how can I build Doomsday and ensure I could win? Well, I need Force of Will and Baleful Strix. And then lo and behold, these two people are doing the exact same thing.
0: Yep. Yeah.
1: What people are not working with is a Breach version. And I think the moment that somebody basically takes uh, Ad Nauseam Tendrils, uh, that Storm deck, and just boots out the the part of the shell that wants to try and cast Tendrils and kill your opponent with that, uh, you go Doomsday instead. Yeah. And you just win a little bit better off that. You might want to keep Drills in the main or uh, make some gobbles, whatever, just as a secondary win con instead of Thassa's Oracle. Yeah. But, man, you can still get there with Breach. Hmm, boy, that's a good card.
0: Yeah, Breach so, is insane.
1: I'm going Doomsday because this card has not seen uh, a lot of action. If you got in uh, right before War of the Spark, when it was at its lowest, you were lucky enough to pick them up at $2 each, and it's already climbed to 5 since War of the Spark, maybe yeah. a little higher than that for the Weatherlight version, which is the one I would go in on because it's Black Border, etc., etc. But my, uh, my companion pick is actually, if you want to spend a little more money on Doomsday, is on the Invocation. This is a card yeah. I've been tracking since it was released. This is the only other version of Doomsday I would play besides uh, Japanese Weatherlight because I'm that person, and it has been flat. If Doomsday takes off and actually wins a high-profile high event or tops eight, it you can expect this to be an invocation that moves and never comes back. And I don't mean yeah. we're going to look at like a hundred-dollar invocation. It might just become a fifty-dollar invocation. But if you were thinking about playing this in Legacy or EDH or wherever, you're going to Thank me for buying in now. Then after yeah. it, it hits, it's just a matter of time. These five O decks are easy to find. The the Legacy subreddit uh, posts all five O lists from the dump. Every that goes chance in. they get. hmm And Doomsday <laughs> is always in this. There has been in the spicy tier for spicy tier for a while, which is above everybody else. And one player just continues to five O with it.
0: Yep. It's it's also interesting because I think it could follow a trajectory similar to what we saw with Necro. Necro sat there for ages. It was, you know, $5, 10 And then all of a sudden it started taking off in EDH, mm-hmm. and there were rumors of it unbanning. And all of a sudden it started exploding just because it got exposure yep. in those formats. Doomsday has EDH exposure, and it can get legacy exposure, which is even more added utility to the financial value of it. Mm-hmm. And it is, like you said. it's It's a combo deck that has existed for years periodically it pops up and does really well and every time it does doomsday becomes a five to ten dollar card
1: yes this isn't like char belcher which is a glass cannon and is easy to build uh build in that regard it but it yeah. is a deck for stalwarts of the play pattern yeah you know you, the pe- people just don't pick up doomsday and play it it has some of it had some of the hardest play patterns ever uh vintage yeah fucking hero, Steven Menendian, used to write articles, uh, PDFs rather, like 10 and 15 page PDFs about how to play Doomsday correctly in Vintage and Legacy. Like, these were these were the primers you were getting. It wasn't just like this is how you play, these, this is the five card pile you make, you win. No, this was like yeah. the plan for Doomsday and it was like trying to figure out how to solve a Rubik's Cube. You just had play patterns and you had math and a bunch of formulas and like that was doomsday with thassa's oracle yep. in play now things are a lot more streamlined and a lot easier they're gonna, that raises the or so, rather lowers the opportunity cost to get into the deck uh, lands yep. notwithstanding it was difficulty and position within the meta that kept people out it's just like the spanish inquisition that deck if you've never heard of it is basically every oh, love that like black love combo that deck. deck in legacy it had tendrils it had belcher it had um it didn't have Doomsday, I don't think, throughout its its history. No, it um, did not. It was. Uh, I might have had Painter Grindstone at one point in time, but it did. Basically, yeah. this deck just played a bunch of cards, like Calling the Week, I think, that allows you to pay like three mana, half your life, and then you
0: draw three cards. Or and that's a uh, infer. It ran Infernal Contract and Cruel Bargain that did that. Yeah. And you ran the zero-cost artifacts with uh, calling the week. I, I love this deck. I love that deck. Anyways, uh, and it ran that stuff, and you would, you know, it stopped being a thing basically when Counterbalance got printed. Yeah, cause
1: that's a fun card. Fun for everyone, fun for all. That deck no. has harder play lines and that's for stalwarts. Yeah. Doomsday now, not so much, especially with the Sultai version that, like I said, plays protection, plays Val, Val Summer as little offense, defense, Strix, and that you just kind so of good. slow draw to your combo, defend yourself, win. You you don't have probe, you don't have top anymore, but you still just draw those five cards rather easily. And yeah. at, uh, what it what did I have up for regular Doomsday at a five dollar or four forty six average, um, sorry market buy in. I don't think there's any reason to not pick up some copies if you're thinking about playing Legacy or you're looking for a card that's just going to go.
0: Yeah. It's pretty good. Mm -hmm. Solid. Solid. Uh,
1: Anything else before we get out of here?
0: No, I think that's about it. Um, I will say, just dropping one more line for Mm -hmm. self-promotion, let us know if you can make it to the Legacy 5K slash 10K that i am hosting in st louis it is at mtgnami.com if you want to sign up it's for the nami charity national alliance on mental illness you should check it out
1: uh as of right now we'll both be there unless i can't find a flight from my snowy little corner of the globe that's fair (laughs) thanks for listening guys uh as always you know please leave us feedback wherever you feel like uh you know YouTube's great if you want to go direct to us uh, a lot faster and get a response back a lot sooner. Twitter is definitely going to be the place to go. Uh, Facebook, you can also DM us on on there. We'll we'll see you pretty quickly.
0: Uh, Also, before we go, I did want to say, again, in two weeks, we'll be doing a Theros uh, Beyond Death. Return to Theros, whatever. Uh, Our March 9th episode, we'll be doing a Return to Theros Booster Box giveaway. So please, that is available for patrons Patrons for as little as $1 you can become a patron of us and be eligible for these bi-monthly giveaways. And can
1: you, you can yell at us directly in discord and that's even faster. Yes. Not going to lie. I was active all day yesterday, chirping with people in discord about this gold Gary deck. So yep. you can hit us there. But again, uh, thanks for listening. I at halt. I am reptar on Twitter. You are
0: at thirsty. Sizzler.
1: We are at MTG called podcast on Twitter, on Facebook, uh, iTunes or Apple music, whatever it is now. And we'll see you next week.
0: Yep.